Hello, I am That Williams Guy, and I am joined today by Steve Moses. And at this time, I'm going to turn it over to Steve and ask him to introduce himself. Well, Lee, uh, good talking to you. Again, my name is Steve Moses. I've been a farms trainer since about 1994. Uh, I'm currently a content contributor for CCW Safe, as well as a content contributor, and I manage customer support for the Farm Trainers Association. I'm still an active trainer. Uh, like I said, I've been doing this since 1994. I've taken a, a lot of really good classes. Uh, probably, you know, the ones I'd probably kind of like throw out there for people's consideration is I've taken many of the uh, Range Master Instructor courses. And uh, Alan and Guy Schnitzler, my partners, are not Alan and Guy Schnitzler, Alan McBee and Guy Schnitzler, my partners, and I are all joining Tom at Mead Hall in October to do the uh, master instructor class. So uh, I was a, a reserve deputy constable for 18 years. I had the very rare privilege of being a team member on a multi-precinct special response team. I uh, am also licensed in the state of Texas to not only conduct executive protection, but teach it. That is, I have a level four personal protection officer uh, instructor certification, and I've got a few other instructor certifications that I think kind of help round me out as an instructor. So uh, very glad to be here today. Uh, you mentioned being a Texas constable. If you would explain to our listeners and viewers what it is that a Texas constable does, because not every state has constables. And then their duties vary from state to state, the ones that do have them. Well, in Texas, uh, the constable is primarily involved in the civil process. In terms of civil process, uh, some of the rural counties actually have the sheriff's deputies uh, do that. But in a lot of the counties, and there's a lot of counties in Texas, especially the larger counties, uh, that's a separate function. It is an elected uh, position. Uh, you have to be a licensed um, T. Cole, uh, law enforcement officer in order to perform constable duties. And the duties of the uh, deputies typically revolved around civil process, uh, court duty. Uh, one of the things that we did have some issues with is we were called to serve writs of possession. And in some of those instances, oh, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. And uh, some of those tenants kind of had a skanky background, uh, a tendency towards violence and they did not want to be evicted. So a team was formed in order to deal with those, you know, potentially dangerous situations, as opposed to just having two or three deputy constables go out there and perform that ad hoc without any coordination whatsoever. Right. For those unaware, a writ of possession is a fancy court term, say, for you're getting thrown out of your house. And as you can imagine, lots of times people aren't happy about that. And they vent their anger on the person that's actually there serving the court paper, who actually has no control over whether or not you're getting evicted. Uh, but those can be very, very, very dangerous situations. We had a few exciting ones, I will have to say. All right. Now, I'm familiar with your background, and I do believe that you are a black belt in Taekwondo and a brown belt in BJJ. Uh, that's correct. I have a uh, black belt in uh, Taekwondo via the World Taekwondo Federation. That was something that I earned in the 1980s. And I'm currently a Helsin Gracie Jiu-Jitsu brown belt. All right, cool. Um, the reason I wanted to talk with you tonight involves instructors and the relevancy of their training being true to their certifications. 
uh, in particular, I know that, you know, last year or year before we had the issue out of, I believe it was White Settlement, Texas, where there was yes, the sir. unfortunate incident in the church and uh, the one member on the church security team, you know, performed a pretty serious feat of marksmanship under duress uh, with a headshot at 15 yards and immediately uh, courses sprang up all over the country from firearms instructors, church security, armed security for churches, et cetera. And, I, you know, I go look at these guys and I will click on their, their link, go to the web pages and look at their backgrounds. And I would see things like NRA, basic pistol instructor, or whatever the, you know, equivalent of USCCAA is. But I would see no background that had anything to do with having ever professionally performed a security function, nor any certification in that area. And folks, church security and firearms are not exactly the same thing. Uh, they're not even close. And so Steve has got considerable experience in that. So I'd like for him to speak on that issue. Well, I uh, appreciate that. Uh, I was on a, a mega church, uh, church security team for seven years, almost eight years, a uh, relatively large church. Uh, the campus was capable of probably having uh, 20,000 people uh, come over a weekend. It had four satellite, count, uh, four satellite campuses. And uh, I was on part of the initial team that was formed up and I eventually became a, uh, a shift lead, which uh, what that means is any time that the team was active, I was the person that was basically responsible for, you know, uh, conferencing with the uh, security director, uh, positioning the team, uh, responding to any small crisis, large if there was indeed a large crisis. And uh, it was something that I did for seven years, almost eight. And that was in conjunction with my having been a firearms instructor and a martial arts instructor for nearly two decades by that time. So not only did I get to look at that from the perspective of someone that was actually in the team uh, making things happening, uh, responding to incidents, but I also got to see that from the lens of an instructor. And we were involved in many instances. We had a lot of people that cycled in and out of the team. So we were constantly training team, uh, team members. At that time, I had decided to go ahead and get my level four personal protection officer certification. So I was also working for an agency in which we were doing executive protection and personal protection for uh, they, you know, various clients and everything. So that was something that I did for a long time. It was something that I enjoyed. And uh, once I was no longer on the team and then it became much more widespread, the interest in teams, then I started teaching classes on uh, church security and offering blocks of instruction. I probably did it three times at various uh, tactical conferences. Sure. If you could give us just a quick synopsis of things that a security team that would be involved in that have nothing to do with the firearms component. Well, uh, about 99% of the, <laughs> the matters that the team are involved uh, right. do not involve a firearm. Uh, if you are forced to use a firearm, it's because all of your other perimeters of security have failed. And at that point, typically something bad is going to happen. 
and it may very well be bad for you, uh, your principles, uh, the persons you're there to protect. And again, you know, none of us want to get engaged in a firefight within the, you know, the walls of a church sanctuary. So we tried to do, when I say tried, we, we actually did everything that we could that would prevent such an incident from ever taking place. And in the event that it might be pending to be in a position where we could intervene in such a way that we were far much more likely to have a positive outcome. Excellent. Um, I have a background dealing with a lot of event security. I worked uh, uh, worked every home football game for a Southeastern Conference football team for 10 years. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of events with over 100,000 uh, you know, spectators involved. Wow. Numerous others with 10 to 15 to 20,000 spectators involved. And then it, things even including former presidents visiting the area and everything. And the one striking difference that I see between that and a house of worship, because this does encompass more than just, you know, Christian churches, is, you know, none of the instances in which I was working, was there an evangelical mission involved? We had the, you know, we could actually, you know, form a perimeter and could turn people away. And a lot of the events had tickets for admission. It was very simple. If you didn't have a ticket, your admission was not even a question. That's different than a church that's asking, you know, unto the least of you, please come. You know, that's reaching out to people and trying to get them to come in. Uh, you know, the troubled person, that's who the church is supposed to be there to, to help. And that's not necessarily conducive to excluding problems. Am I right no. on that? No, you're absolutely correct. And again, the majority of the persons there that are, you know, evidencing signs of anxiety or stress or some other, you know, emotional discomfort, they're coming to that house of worship for a reason. And it's not to injure others. Uh, They're looking for solace. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for, they want to be in a position different than where they have. And if you'll, you know, you think about it, think of all the many times that people said, I came to church, my life was just a complete train wreck. And once I started attending church and uh, or any other house of worship and meeting people and getting engaged, it was a complete turnaround. And so what we want to do is we want to have a very friendly, friendly and inviting environment. Uh, it's not nothing we want to do is to send off that vibe as we are armed security. And if you're going to come here and cause trouble, we're going to deal with it. As a matter of fact, in my opinion, the better teams uh, operate in a very low low profile uh, Mm -hmm. type operation. That is, we don't want to stand out from anybody else that's, you know, at the church, whether they're the greeters or the ushers, parking lot attendants, uh, the people in the child care area. We don't want to stand out. Uh, We're there to protect you, but by the same token, we're also, you know, wanting to make sure that those people that need our help can actually get in there and uh, attend the service. You know, you said something key there, low profile. In event security that does not have the evangelical component, a lot of the security is the deterrent factor in shows of force and numbers and, you know, we were told to stay spread out and to keep moving so that it would look like there were more of us than there actually were. 
we wanted it every time somebody turned around like oh well there's there's another cop you know i don't necessarily want to attend a church where i'm looking around it's like why do they need all these armed guards maybe this isn't where i need to be absolutely absolutely uh and the other thing too is i worked a lot of event security as a matter of fact i was the uh, sergeant in the reserve department which meant that i was responsible for staffing uh, church, I mean, uh, events in the Tarrant County area in which my precinct was located with officers for various events. And so, I mean, we've done, you know, events where it was like the, uh, the, the Republican club or it was the local Northeast, you know, Tarrant County, uh, annual chamber, you know, festival, et cetera, et cetera. So we spent a lot of time in uniform and we did exactly that. We had radios, we were, not well i'm not saying that you didn't have radios on the church security team but ideally we didn't want us to look any different than the ushers or the greeters that were parking people and helping people you know find the right place and uh to that end you know we stood in our uniforms we were in key locations we moved around but we largely acted independently of each other and in a house of worship security team that is not possible you absolutely have to identify the most vulnerable parts of the facility itself, including the grounds, because actually more violent crime takes place out in the parking lot than it does inside the church facility. So we needed to have coordination and we needed to have the right person. And that is someone that's trained, that's competent, that understands what the operating order is, what they can and they can't do. They understand state laws regarding use of force, because you can very much get yourself in trouble. Uh, one of the things I'm always concerned about, Lee, are those people that think, oh, I'm on a church security team. I now have achieved magical law enforcement powers. <laughs> the entire time that I was on that House of Worship team, I was actually law enforcement. And I'm like going, uh, I'm not going to get involved unless I have to get involved. The opposite is true. Uh, the other thing is, is that, well, I was law enforcement, so I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll take a, a position in the church security, uh, a church security uh, operation. Well, you're not really prepared for that. And so one of the things that you have to do is you have to get everyone working in harmony. You need to have those levels of communication. You need to be in your place at the right time and you need to be prepared to support another church security team member if that church security team member needs assistance with the exception of if you're in a key area uh you can't be mud sucked out of place right. that is you don't want everybody leaving the sanctuary you don't want anybody you don't want everybody leaving the children's area so you had to understand what your position is what your role is what you were expected to do and that's something that people that say okay well i've done a lot of shooting courses and actually, there's a lot of people that are, are more than NRA uh, pistol instructors. They have pretty impressive backgrounds, but mm -hmm. now they're teaching, teaching church security. And I'm like, going, you're teaching the active shooter response portion right. of church security. And if we can do everything correct, then that incident will never take place. Right. And by the same token, you are not prepared to deal with all of the events that might take place that might not only get you in trouble, but it could get your house of worship in trouble also. So these are all things I think, you know, persons that are contemplating doing house of worship security should take into consideration. 
Yeah, you, you touched on something there is like the perception of having law enforcement power. Yeah, in Georgia, this legislative session that just ended uh, in the spring, our arrest by private person law was repealed. There, oh. yes, uh, for a hundred and something years, we've had this particular arrest by private person statute, and basically anybody had the same right to you know the powers of arrest that a peace officer did to a certain degree. And there were just different procedures that had to be followed prior to this law. Well, we had the incident in Brunswick where the, the gentleman was out supposedly jogging and the other three guys confronted him and they ended up uh, shooting the guy and killing him. Well, you know, the governor's response to that was we need to address the criminal, uh, the, excuse me, the citizen's arrest law. And it stormed through the house, it stormed through the Senate. Several of us uh, testified uh, at the Senate hearing, and then I reached out with, I didn't go to the Senate hearing, but I reached out to some members of the legislature. And now it is illegal for a private citizen in Georgia to detain a person. And, you know, I pointed out the fact that, okay, so you're telling me that as a private citizen, if I see an old lady getting robbed, that under our deadly force statute, I'm authorized to use deadly force to intervene in that, because it's falls up under the deadly force statute, but I can't wrestle him down and tackle him and hold him till the cops get there. Yes. So I yes, can sir. kill him, but I can't arrest him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, the interesting thing about that too, Lee, yeah. is that you have to be real careful if you choose to detain right. or arrest someone, even in those states. And Texas is one of those states right. where private citizens can indeed, you know, make a you know citizens arrest. Uh, what we have always instructed the students taking our classes is that you never want to make a citizen's arrest. As a matter of fact, if you can get the person off the property, regardless of the incident, then do so and then turn that over to law enforcement. Mm -hmm. The only time that I you know, encourage our students to lay hands on a person and detain them is because that person right then is a serious threat to either the team members or other people in the sanctuary. So if I've got someone that's trying to fight everybody, uh, we will take him down and we will hold him. If it's someone that is creating a public disturbance, which actually that's an arrestable offense, uh -huh. uh, we're not going to arrest him. We will ask them to leave. If they won't leave, we will call law enforcement. We will have them criminal trespass and we will stay with them right. until such time that law enforcement can arrive and take over that situation. And I just don't think a, a lot of people know that and B they know how to actually accomplish it. Right. And I think that goes right to the crux of this whole conversation is the quote firearms instructor that does not understand the laws that we just discussed and all that nuance they are biting off a peck of trouble trying to hold themselves out to be uh, an instructor for which they're not qualified to instruct for a subject matter in which they're not qualified to instruct. Uh, I believe that to be the case. And also, you may very well put your, your, your students in a position where a situation is unfolding in which the students don't know how to handle that. And guess what they do? They do nothing. Right. And then that's when things escalate. 
And I'm not one to, you know, be super critical uh, after the fact. Uh, what happened in White Settlement, I think, was indeed very tragic. But when you saw that thing unfold on the video, you know, uh, myself being the typical Monday morning quarterback, and the same guy that goes to the movies and spoils them all for my wife, because <laughs> that's not tactical. Blocks don't have safety. I'm sitting here and I'm like going, oh, I saw all of these opportunities <laughs> to intercept that person and put yourself in a position where probably you could have foiled any attempt to you know, bring that shotgun from under that trench coat. Right. And I think in part that those gentlemen were you know, doing the best they could pursuant to their training, but I don't think the, uh, the, the training was adequate. And I say that with right. all respect right. because, you know, uh, there were, well, there were two people that lost their lives, another person that was critically injured, and, uh, you know, all respect to the uh, first member of the church security team that in the face of what he saw was happening, he right. actually attempted to uh, take a, a responsive action. Right. And that brings to mind, too, one of the differences between a non-evangelical security mission and the evangelical one is that all the events that I've heard, the guy showing up in the summertime wearing an overcoat, we would have intercepted him in the parking lot and right. we would have, we would have had a chat. Now I'm not saying he would have been detained. I'm not saying you know anything along, along those lines, but he would have known right from the start that uh, he had been noticed and that there were eyes on him. And, you know, that's things that you can do from private sector security that's different from the church environment. And I, I just, I know I keep harping on that, but, you know, it, it's a different game. It's a different game or skill set altogether. It's a high stakes game also. It's a yeah. high stakes game because uh, there's a lot at risk. Uh, not only, you know, your own uh, personal freedom and perhaps finances, but, uh, you know, you can do damage to the church, you can do damage to the church's reputation, which makes them difficult to attract, uh, you know, new members. And I keep saying mm -hmm. church, I do mean house of worship. Right. It's just kind of, it's, it's, it's a Texas, Oklahoma thing, yeah. you know, especially rural. And, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the thing is, is that, and then again, if you do not act properly, uh, other people can uh, get hurt. Uh, you know, a lot of events that people aren't prepared to deal with uh, involve domestic violence. Yeah. You know, uh, basically, you know, uh, there you have a couple, uh, they break up. Uh, one member is typically the female, not always, but typically the female. Uh, she attends church. Uh, she may have a temporary restraining order against him. Uh, and he decides, OK, she's meeting guys at the church or there is someone at the church, perhaps the um, the church leader that's counseling her. And some of the advice that she is getting is that she doesn't have to put up with that. Well, he comes there, he has an encounter, then you need to get involved. And how do you do that in such a manner that you can either de-escalate that or if said gentleman does not want to be de-escalated, uh, deal with it long before anyone gets, it gets hurt. Uh, the other thing that I think a person's interested in doing a house of security uh, should understand is that probably your chances of 
getting injured probably are going to come more from a physical beating mm-hmm. or perhaps even an edge weapon. We'll certainly say a physical beating than they are with a firearm. And so then the question becomes, are you prepared for that? I mean, when you're standing there, say, conversation distance, three, four, five feet from a gentleman, and he's bigger and younger and more aggressive looking than you, and he launches himself, you know, at you. Okay, tell me again about that that magical one-second draw mm-hmm. and what you think that's going to accomplish. Matter of fact, I would contend that even if you have a full second to act, uh, you won't be able to get that gun in properly. And then all of a sudden you've got a gun into a fight. It can very well become a gunfight. Well, you know, that one second, one and a half second draw, whatever people like to claim is a lot different when it's a timer and a known stimulus than, Oh my gosh, he just shot Charlie. Absolutely. Or he's Absolutely. or he's beating me in the face is my stimulus that we're in a fight. Uh, going back to the domestic violence aspect of it, children in the nursery involved in a custody battle. That's it's a big a, deal. You know, okay. so, husband, so you mm-hmm. yeah, husband shows up or ex-husband shows up and he wants to leave with his child. Mm-hmm. Or they're in the process of getting divorced, and so there's no court order determining custody. And he's showing up, and by God, I'm leaving with my child. Well, at that point, he's got every legal right to leave with that child. But as, as Johnny Protector, no, ma'am, I'll stop this. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're, you're sticking your neck out there. Yep. You know, you need to be trained how to handle that situation, what you can and can't do, and the importance in many instances of being a very good witness and having someone in a position that can communicate that to law enforcement immediately and you know basically tell the gravity of the situation uh we you know we followed him to the car this is what he's driving this is the direction he went uh this is the tag number and here's his name and at that point we just kind of have to turn that over to the uh you know to to law enforcement to handle that there you go now, I know that you're involved with an organization that has developed a church security program or training program yes, or excuse, yes, House sir. of Worship security training. House program. of Worship security team instructor development course. Yes, sir. Right. Would you please uh, tell our listeners and viewers about that program and how they can find out yeah. about it? Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, we had our first class. We refer to that very much as a beta class. Uh, it was a three day class, a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. We had multiple blocks that covered various aspects of House of Worship security. Uh, Basically, first of all, what is House of Worship security and what is the big picture? Uh, We had uh, legendary defense attorney Don West come in and teach a block on general use of force laws. And then we talked about scenarios in which knowledge of use of force laws might apply to a specific incident. Uh, We did uh, two shooting blocks, including a scored test in which we showed the instructors methods of instructing church security team members, uh, the majority of which are not trained uh, very well with a gun. Matter of fact, it may be the first firearms class in which they've ever participated where we try to get across, okay, here's some foundational knowledge that we believe 
these teams need to know how to do and how to achieve that within a house of worship uh, environment. Uh, we went ahead, we had uh, Caleb Causey come in and do an immediate action uh, medical response, because in many instances, if you're on a team and you or someone else suffers a penetrating wound, whether it's from a firearm or an edged weapon, uh, seconds count. And if you don't have on hand the base materials to start addressing those, uh, there's a you know there's a good probability that that person may really be in a, a lot of trouble. Uh, we went on. We talked about how to uh, set up a, a video surveillance system uh, for those uh, houses of worship that don't have one in place. For instance, if you're a team member, or let's say for instance you're an instructor, or you're going to instruct students that are going to go to churches, bring back this knowledge and then say, hey, we need to get a video surveillance system in, and how can we do this cost effectively, and what are the advantages and disadvantages of a wired versus non-wired situation? Uh, we did that. Uh, FTA, uh, uh, let's see, I think I would call him training coordinator, and uh, also a content contributor, and also someone that's very uh, uh, instrumental in what CCW Safe is accomplishing, Rob High, former uh, Oklahoma City Police Department, use of force expert. Uh, it was a training coordinator for the Oklahoma City Police Department. He actually did a segment on uh, empty hand response to, you know, uh, these particular persons. If indeed they did attempt to punch you, uh, they attempted to, to stab you with a knife. Uh, if they threw you to the floor and did the old, you know, schoolyard bully, a.k.a. UFC, ground and pound, you know, beat down from the mount position. Uh, he did a uh, he did a block on that. And uh, let's see, we did one other thing. Oh, and we also did Alan McBee, uh, my partner, did a block on uh, dealing with suspicious visitors and the proper way to make contact and then assess what's going on and responding accordingly, which could be anything from, oh, you know, you have your friendly interview. Uh, basically, you're not trying to put pressure. You're not trying to drive this person away from the facility, but just, you know, kind of see where are they at? You know, is this a person that we think is a threat? Uh, if the person's not a threat, uh, we bid them, a you know, a good day and see if we can help them get to where they want. If we have concerns, then the uh, team leader is responsible for assigning another team member to basically shadow that person the entire time they're at the facility and then last if this is okay this is absolutely you know we can't let you in at this time the uh, you know turning that person away in such a manner if they don't find offensive uh, if they do staying with that person and managing that situation until law enforcement can arrive all right folks you just heard a description of a very well thought out uh, house of worship security training program if that's not what you're seeing in the description of the other church security programs that you're looking at taking, you need to walk away and you need to walk towards uh, Steve in this project with FTA or something comparable. And quite frankly, I don't know if anything comparable. Uh, I don't think there is at this point, but I actually hope that changes mm -hmm. in the future. Uh, I hope that some of these people that we are turning out, as a matter of fact, I know they are, uh, Tim Reedy, uh, Ed Monk, uh, mm -hmm. we had some really stellar guys 
in this class. And these people all attended this class. And so now they're in a position where, in my opinion, they very, very well could teach a house of worship uh, security class. Uh, one thing I did leave out, which I, you know, just kind of dawned on when you were talking, is we also extensively went into a program where we talked about how to set up an operating plan, what should be in the operating plan, suggested ways of positioning your members before the service, during the service, between the service, if there are services, following service, and after the service in such a way that one, you've got coverage in key places, Mm -hmm. you have people that can support each other, and how to rotate that team so no one stayed in the same place um, twice. Uh, On the team I was in, uh, there were several times where they had three services on Sunday, and uh, we were short a couple of times. And so I attended and listened to the same service three times. And I'm telling you, uh, complacency mm-hmm. sets in on number two, and then complacency just caves your head in on All number right. three. So just that ability to keep, you know, your people engaged, have the people that need to be in the correct position, and also the importance of not only training, but continuous education. Uh, we also covered uh, active shooter response. So um, I'm sorry I wasn't really well prepared for my response here. <laughs> As I keep throwing this stuff out, you know, and everything, but that was pretty much it. So I think it's real important that if you want to do house of worship security, that you need to have knowledge. And I'm by that, I mean, quality knowledge in in all of those areas and understand a uh, what that means and b how to do it. Excellent. Yeah. Tonight, we've really hit the subject hard from the from the house of worship security standpoint. But everything we're talking about applies to other areas of firearms training as well. Um, for instance, someone who is their only instructor certification is, and I, I'm sorry for all the NRA basic pistol instructors, that's just, it's the low-hanging fruit. Uh, you know, they've got certification as NRA basic pistol and their state level uh, license to carry or CCW, whatever your state calls it, licensure course, but yet you're teaching force on force and room clearing. Now, if those certifications are paired with years of experience as, you know, some sort of security force or law enforcement that actually goes in and does those type things, or, you know, or, or the like, then okay. But if it's just those basic pistol or basic firearm instructor certifications, stay in that lane. And buyer beware, you know, look at that. The name of a course may seem very interesting. You look at, oh, that's cool. I'd love to learn how to do that. Well, vet the instructor, make sure they're qualified to be teaching what the product is. Uh, Steve, any thoughts on that? No, I absolutely agree. And the other thing that I would really, you know, kind of throw out is that the uh, average person that's on a house of security team, uh, security team, that is, uh, they're not a skilled shooter. The course that they're taking with you may be the first course that they've ever attended. You will be shocked at the holsters and the handguns <laughs> that show up. Uh, I've had them show up with uh, Walther PPKs. I've had them show up with uh, LCPs 
in pocket holsters without a spare magazine. And the thing is, if you're giving these people a false sense of confidence that they are prepared to deal with something that, you know, as we saw in white settlement can just be horrific, uh, we're doing them a disservice. And I really want to, you know, uh, I mean, I think everybody likes money to some extent. Uh, the money is not that important. What you should as an instructor, uh, much of your reward comes from the fact that you know that you've empowered other people correctly and that you have taught them something that if they will commit themselves to and give some thought and continue to train may very well save their lives and the lives of others someday. Absolutely. Well, Steve, tell people how they can get in touch with you, find out about your, your offerings, both through uh, your own company and through FTA. Okay, very good. Uh, my company is called Palisade Training Group, LLC. Uh, my partners are, are two excellent uh, longtime farms instructors, Alan McBee and uh, Guy Schnitzler. Uh, Hany Mahmood is one of our contract instructors. We use him. We're actually going to use him later in the year for a couple of courses. Our website is ptgtrainingllc.com. Uh, I can also be reached at steve at ccwsafe.com and stevemfta at gmail.com. In reference to uh, a future House of Worship class, uh, right now we're, uh, we're, we're looking at that uh, format uh, very, very carefully. Uh, we want to do some reformatting. We knew at the time that there were things that we were wanting to add, uh, maybe some things we wanted to eliminate, uh, maybe move some things, uh, perhaps have somebody, you know, teach this block. And uh, right now, it's probably going to be later in the year before we'll announce our next uh, class. Uh, and that will probably be in the Oklahoma City area. So if you want to stay in touch with me, uh, please feel free to do so. And when I know anything about a future class date, I will, you know, I will go to some effort to make that information public. Absolutely. Folks, if I lived in Texas, or especially in the in the area in which Steve operates, I will be at every class that he and his his group offered. I know Steve and all of his assistant instructors and partners, and they are top notch trainers and top notch people. And unequivocally, you know, if it wasn't a ten to twelve hour drive for me to get to their classes, I will be at everything that they offered. Um, and maybe one day when I retire, I'll show up, even with being a 10, 10 hour drive. Uh, we have a spare bedroom for you. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, the, the other thing that goes along with that is that uh, uh, Steve works with the Firearms Trainers Associates, and I'm not wanting to bash any of the other uh, firearms instructor insurance programs that are out there. I actually have policies from two different companies, one of which is FTA. And part of that is that the guy that's on the other side of the camera right now handles um, adding other ranges to your insurance plan. And I think the longest I've gone after sending you an email for one of those is less than 12 hours. Yes, sir. I try to look at my email. If I have a request for one, I will get it out the same day. And sometimes if I see it at 10, 8, 10 p.m. at night, uh -huh. I'll knock it out at 10.01 p.m. 
Yeah, I think overnight's the longest I've had to wait on one of those wanting to add it. Add a, you know, what we're talking about, people here, say you're an instructor and you're going to teach at a new range, and that range wants a specific rider on your insurance policy to protect that range. Well, Steve's who you contact for FTA, and he sends you that insurance certificate. And sometimes that's a long, drawn-out process from some of the other companies. Like I say, well, Steve, the longest I've waited is overnight. I apologize uh, for that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm pleased and I'm tickled. Uh, Steve, was there anything that I should have asked you about that I didn't? Uh, no, I, I don't believe so. Those were all very good questions. You made me kind of look inside the dark recesses of my mind for some of that information in those back Rolodexes. Uh, one thing I might say about the Farm Trainers Association, uh, if you will allow me, is sure. the Farm Trainers Association is an organization that provides legal liability coverage for farm trainers that is backed by insurance. And what that simply means is, is that they cover your legal costs in the event that you're named in a lawsuit stemming from a training event with the sole exception of something that was just, you just did something totally stupid and unlawful and no one in their right mind would do that. And uh, you typically don't see that except on YouTube. And uh, some of those things I have seen, I'm like going, uh, oh my God, I hope no one else sees this but me. <laughs> but the same persons that will represent you uh, are the same people that uh, make up the critical response team for CCW Safe. And so you're talking about a vetted team with years and years of experience, including a tremendous amount of a court uh, appearance uh, representing uh, clients on the CCW safe side is the very same people. And uh, let's see, Kyle Sweet, uh, Mike Darter, Stan Campbell, Gary Eastridge, Rob High, they're all former law enforcement. So a part of the system for CCW safe was kind of based around the police system in the manner in which they handle uh, critical incidents that involve law enforcement officers uh, the CCW safe model is based upon the same type of thing. So that's about as much pitch uh, as I feel, you know, that I, I, I should give probably too much. Uh, but regardless, they're, they're, they're fantastic guys. And we would, you know, love to have you all join us. Outstanding. Outstanding. You know, th this this whole YouTube thing is funny. Um, I just started putting videos up in the last month or two. And right now, I think I'm growing at, in the last 28 days, 780 something percent. I know that's not going to last, but uh, I looked at uh, some things on YouTube this weekend, and I noticed that Ernest Langdon has just under 18,000 subscribers to his YouTube page. Now, Ernest is a world champion pistol shooter and the builder of phenomenal firearms, or customizer of phenomenal firearms 18,000 subscribers and some guy like named scoot 007 or something like that that does product reviews in his backyard had over a million subscribers not we're obviously doing something wrong <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those two things are not the same and you know uh, but i guess it's all about what the the fancy little thumbnail and the intro that holds people's attention beyond 30 seconds and gets them to subscribe is uh, as of last night the audio from all of these interviews is actually uploaded to anchor uh, 
Uh, if you go on Anchor and just search for Lee Weems, it, uh, all of the audio is available. And Anchor is part of Spotify. And so if you search that Weems guy on Spotify, you'll find the audio from all of these interviews. Uh, so when this interview gets uploaded to YouTube, the audio will also get uploaded to Anchor so you can listen to it in your car uh, on your way to work or home if you so choose. Um, folks, if you're enjoying this content, please share the links on social media because I'm only going to do so much of that. So if you want to help this spread and help keep it going, uh, that's what you can do to help. Uh, Steve, uh, as always, it's great to talk with you and thank you for being here tonight. I'll give you the last, last parting shot here. Oh, it, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I cannot tell you how pleased I was to be uh, asked to do this and uh, do want you to know that I still have been working pretty heavily on my revolver skills after your excellent block at uh, TechCon. And uh, I'm in the process of uh, having a little uh, three-inch K-frame revolver uh, built for me right now as a result. And uh, you kind of shed some light on the, uh, the advantages of the revolver and how to you know minimize the disadvantages. So uh, I, every time I get an opportunity, uh, I want to train under you, and I'm sure I'll see you at TechCon. I'll be wherever you are. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm actually going to be teaching the revolver class again um, this year. Uh, we're not going to do three blocks of it this year. I think we're just going to do one. Uh, the other class that I'll be a part of is uh, Eric Gilhouse, John oh, Dobb, yeah. John Dobb uh, from KR Training, and I will be doing a roundtable on the aftermath of a deadly force incident. Oh, I'll uh, be there. Yeah, uh, you know, because we know what Eric went through with his, and then John was involved in one in his home, and then, you know, I've been involved in a couple as an administrator on the investigative side uh, with deputies involved, and we're just going to, you know, we're going to have a good presentation. I think we're going to shed some light on some things that people just aren't aware of. Uh, like for me, I'm going to talk about the changes from, you know, a deadly force incident that occurred in 2016 to one that occurred in 2020. And just how the media spotlight from everything that was going on in the country, how it changed the investigation. And you know, so I think some people learned some things they're just not aware of. Excellent. I will be, I'll definitely attend that one. Absolutely. And uh, what are you teaching? Do you know yet? Uh, it's going to be managing dangerous interactions in transitional areas. So basically uh, what we're kind of working on is a block of how to better manage don't shoot, shoot encounters. I got that term from Claude Werner. He said that too many people say shoot, don't shoot. He said the reverse should be true. So I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm changing, I'm changing my verbiage right now. And basically uh, things that can be done that perhaps minimize the fact or minimize the possibility that you actually do get into a deadly force engagement, things that you can do and things that you need to be able to do that give you perhaps the skill, the tactics and knowledge to wait just a few seconds longer before that gun comes out. And uh, perhaps it wasn't needed. And perhaps you were just charged with uh, felony, you know, felony assault or brandishing. And so we're going to kind of focus on that. There'll be a small shooting block associated with it. But that's the that's the topic we're going to work on for next year. All right. Well, then I know my mission between now and the time the schedule comes out is to make sure that we're not teaching at the same time. I will talk to Tom. <laughs> Actually, I'll, I'll talk to Tiffany. <laughs> there you go. That's the right answer. Well, uh, thank you for being here tonight. And everyone, I'm that Weems guy. This is for first person safety. <laughs>